Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. People have been trying for 75 years to find a way to make a safer steroid and various approaches have not worked. Most pharma companies and most of the industry has actually given up. Giant leaps forward in medicine often happen by analyzing and understanding long-term problems. Coming in with a completely novel approach, I think could certainly have a big impact. We are really trying to do something very different. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Sometimes abstract thinking can lead to real breakthroughs. Today's guests use their knowledge and innovative foresight to create an advanced solution to an ongoing 75-year puzzle. Today, we're sitting down with David Katz and Robert Jacks, Chief Scientific Officer and President and CEO of Sparrow Pharmaceuticals, respectively. Sparrow has come up with a groundbreaking way to help patients who need steroid treatments. Robert was previously president and CEO of Indolo Therapeutics, a clinical stage biotech company developing therapeutics for serious fibrotic diseases. He was also president, CFO, and co-founder of Symbiomix Therapeutics, which was sold after achieving NDA approval for Solosec. Robert began his career in finance and product development at Pfizer, where he last worked as the director of business development for oncology and infectious diseases. Prior to Sparrow, David Katz was a pharmaceutical R&D leader at Abbott and AbbVie, where he led clinical development and drug discovery teams and was a personalized medicine pioneer. David is dedicated to the mentorship of the next generation of life sciences entrepreneurs. Currently as entrepreneur in residence at Oregon Health and Science University, he has published over 50 peer-reviewed scientific papers. Let's enter the arena with David Katz and Robert Jacks. Sparrow is about sparing patients the ravages of steroids, and that means different things to different patients. So one of our main foci is in rheumatology, and there the steroid medicines, such as prednisone, are used by millions of people to control autoimmune and inflammatory conditions to prevent organ transplant rejection. They're used in treatment of cancer. And they're highly effective drugs, but they come with a price, which is that they are associated with about 10% of all drug adverse events that are reported to the FDA, and also about 10% of all drug-related hospitalizations. And so people, both patients and physicians, try to minimize the use of the steroid drugs to that minimum amount that is necessary to provide some disease control but not cause side effects. And our approach is rather to make the steroids safer 
by altering their metabolism in a specific way. And hopefully, if we're successful, enable these millions of patients who rely on steroids to actually use the doses that will effectively control their disease and no longer have to live on a knife's edge between controlling their disease or condition and suffering side effects of steroids. Corresponding to that, in endocrinology, there are conditions, one that's rare called Cushing's syndrome and one that's not rare called autonomous cortisol secretion in which generally benign tumors within the body secrete or cause secretion of cortisol, which is the body's natural steroid. And when that's in excess, it causes all the same bad effects as the steroid medicines do. So those effects include things like diabetes, high blood pressure, high lipids, glaucoma, fragile bones, fragile skin, muscle wasting. It's just general panoply of of unpleasantness. Yeah. And I, I would have to imagine the economics of big pharma play into your decision to move forward and found the company. I'm sure it's a very interesting space to be in because big pharma is looking oftentimes for just a, a quick hit, something that's close to getting to market. H- how did you look at those economics and kind of plan Sparrow's future? I look at it in two ways. So one is when you look at the steroid medicines, those are very low cost medicines in terms of the actual price that's paid for the pill. However, most of the expense related to steroids comes in the form of treating the side effects. So hospitalizations, lost work, all sorts of inputs that are costs to either the healthcare system or our society or to the patients and caregivers who suffer. And so there's a lot of economic value there. The other aspect of it is that Big Pharma's approach to the challenge of steroids has been to try to replace them with very high-priced, targeted biological therapies to treat autoimmune diseases. And those are actually the number one drug cost as a class in the U.S. and worldwide. And so when I look at that, I see an opportunity to supplant that with something that has comparable efficacy and safety, but is at a substantially lower cost to the healthcare system and to society on a per patient basis. I look at economics in this industry as a matter of meeting unmet medical need. And each of the spaces we're working in are spaces that are of interest to a big pharma, either in rheumatology or in the rare disease space with Cushing's. And I just think that's reflective of the fact that there are high unmet medical needs in each of those spaces. And so I think that what we are doing could be very much of interest because I think that we have an opportunity to, to really make an impact. What did you see that made you jump on board with Sparrow? You've obviously had a pretty accomplished business career. What kind of attracted you to this opportunity? Yeah, I think there were a few things when I evaluate a new opportunity. First of all, the quality of the investors that are behind it. So I'd worked with Orbmed before, who's our lead investor at Sparrow, and they actually had called me and asked me to take a look at this with them. And that always makes me think that it's going to be a quality opportunity because they have quality scientists and, and also choice of what to look at. Secondly, when you look at an asset in this space, 
I tend to like more de-risked assets. It's exciting to work on things that are really early, but we know the chances of success there are smaller. This asset came from a big pharma company where it had been significantly de-risked in prior trials. And there's some biology here that's been well-precedented. And so I think that was very attractive to me. The third piece is just the stage of development. So I really like phase two development because that's where you can really demonstrate the value, I think, of your asset, of your approach. And here at Sparrow, we have the opportunity to run three phase two trials and really some multiple shots to really show that this drug, this mechanism can have a significant impact. Yeah. Well, it seems your backgrounds really complement each other. And to that point, David, your experience prior to Sparrow seemed to be largely in R&D, not business development or fundraising necessarily. How are you able to license these clinical stage assets from Astellas and then raise $50 million in Series A from investors like Orbamed? Who were your mentors? How did you make that pivot from that different background to get this off the ground and raise some capital? Yeah. So I'm glad that you mentioned mentors because that was a very important part of being able to make Sparrow a success were the people who were with me from the very early stages. But I think that if I look back at what led to success, I think really it's reflected in Sparrow's core values. First of all, creativity, having this very strong scientific story, which rose from my experience at Abbott and AbbVie, so both in terms of generally understanding drug development, but specifically understanding this class of compounds, because one of the things I had done at Abbott was lead the clinical trials of their entry into this space. And I think the creativity is really reflected by how the deal with Astellas came about, which was that I learned that the compound was available. I contacted Astellas and they initially said, well, thank you for your idea, but no, this is one of the best drug-like molecules we've ever had in our portfolio, and we're going to do an internal review and decide how to proceed internally with this molecule. And then a year later, after I had been looking at some other potential deals, and actually one had just fallen through about a week and a half before I got a call back from Astellas that said, hey, we've done our review now, we've had our internal process, yours was the best idea, but it's outside our strategic focus, and so are you still interested in it? And following that call was where our value of tenacity came in, because it was then almost two full years before the license with Astellas was fully negotiated and executed with all the diligence and everything. And then following that, 15 months to raise the Series A. And of course, before that, it had been a lot of learning, a lot of relationship building over the years. I think our value of compassion came in because I think investors such as Peter Thompson, who is was the lead partner for Orbamed, really recognize when people genuinely care about patients with unmet medical need, and they're attracted to that. Our value of respect, I think, having had years of experience in professional communication within the pharmaceutical industry, served 
well to affect communication with other large pharma companies, with investors. And then finally, my favorite of our values is alacrity. And that really came into play in March of 2020 when we recognized the opportunity to add on to our program of developing safer steroids, a treatment for Cushing syndrome. And so we shifted our pitch in March of 2020. And then I think something else that really helped us was there was a silver lining to the pandemic. So prior to that, people who were in Boston and San Francisco had the advantage of being local to a lot of investors and being able to interact with them. The pandemic leveled the playing field. And I actually hope that continues. And I am one of my hobbies is I'm also a private equity investor myself, an angel investor. And so I understand the desire to be able to have real close interaction with the leadership teams of companies in which you've invested. But I think that the changes that have taken place in technology and use of technology over the last few years has really enabled anyone anywhere at any time to have those sorts of interactions. I think finally, coming back to mentors and colleagues, it's really important to have a team. And you mentioned that Robert joined with us during the stage that we were syndicating the deal, finding the third Series A partner after Orbamed and Rivervest. And it has been a really great partnership because our skills and our outlooks are really complementary to each other. Yeah. And talking a little bit about the science. So what's the 75-year puzzle of glucocorticoids? Yeah. So glucocorticoids were first used clinically in 1948 at the Mayo Clinic. And in the first days, it appeared that this was a miracle drug. So at the time, patients who had rheumatoid arthritis basically became disfigured, completely unable to do anything, and just had completely miserable lives, and there was nothing to treat them. And Within two days of the first dose of cortisone being given to a patient with rheumatoid arthritis, Mrs. G, she was able to get up out of bed and go shopping. And that looked like a miracle. But then within about another week, she started having side effects that included edema and psychosis and, and other things. And pretty quickly, she decided that the drug was even worse than the disease and stopped taking the drug. And for the 75 years since then, the use of steroids has been a conundrum for medicine because these drugs are so effective for so many things, but they come with such a high cost of morbidity that patients and physicians don't want to use them any more than absolutely essential. Like I said before, the industry has tried to replace steroids. They have not succeeded in that. About half of the patients who use the biologic drugs still rely on steroids to provide broad and blunt inflammatory suppression that's needed to control their diseases. And people have been trying for 75 years 
to find a way to make a safer steroid and various approaches have not worked. In fact, Kendall, who was the chemist who first made cortisone for clinical use at the Mayo Clinic and won the Nobel Prize in 1950 for his work, spent the last two decades of his life attempting to create a glucocorticoid steroid that didn't have the side effects and literally died trying. He had a heart attack during a meeting at Merck with other chemists discussing the project and passed away. Sparrow Pharmaceuticals has engineered their cutting-edge SPI-62 treatment designed to mitigate the side effects patients experience using traditional steroids. As someone with a family member who struggles with an autoimmune disorder, I wanted to know more about how their treatment could change patients' lives. So SPI-62 changes a pathway of steroid metabolism. So it changes the way that our bodies handle steroids. And there's quite a bit of evidence that suggests that by making that metabolic alteration, you can make excess levels of steroids safer. What it does for patients, so like your brother-in-law, he probably has to make a choice every month, every few months, whatever. Do I keep using the steroids to control my disease or do I go off the steroids, get rid of these side effects that are bothering me, and which is worse? Well, we want to eliminate that Hobbesian choice for patients, right? So they don't have to choose between the ravages of the drug and the ravages of the disease, but they can treat the disease effectively and safely. Similarly, with patients who have Cushing syndrome or autonomous cortisol secretion, they have a tumor that is causing them to have fragile bones, diabetes, high blood pressure, etc. And many of them are being treated with multiple medications in the attempt to control all the symptoms. Well, wouldn't it be better to have a single drug that actually controls their disease and potentially gets rid of all or much of the polypharmacy that these patients need currently and allow them to go on living their lives with a convenient, effective, and safe solution. And Robert, based on that, SPI-62 seems to be a disruptive technology. Would you agree with that in the space? I, I do agree with that. I think particularly, I guess, in both areas. In Cushing syndrome, uh, there really haven't been any new mechanisms developed in decades. And so the current drugs have some efficacy but they tend to be also their own toxicities and patients can become refractory to them. And so coming in with a completely novel approach, I think could certainly have a big impact in Cushing's. On the rheumatology side, I think disruptive is a good descriptor. David described this 75-year odyssey. Most pharma companies, most of the industry has actually given up on that approach. They've decided to to give up on steroids, even though they are so effective, and have moved on to some biologic therapies, which are not as effective, have their own issues, and tend to be extremely expensive. So I think that by taking a completely different approach and stepping back, and if we could actually make steroids safer, we could largely disrupt a lot of that industry. And we could step in front of a lot of those therapies and really help patients. Well, I think we touched on it in the beginning, but what 
clinical trials are in progress. What are kind of timelines associated with those clinical trials? And just for those who may not know exactly where you stand in, in the cycle of all these things, how is that progressing and where are you in that? Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned at the outset, I only like phase two clinical development because that's where you really can see the value proposition. Does your drug help patients? And so what's exciting about this opportunity is that our business plan was to run three simultaneous phase two trials. And so all three of those trials are up and running. One is a trial in PMR, a common autoimmune disease. A second one is in Cushing syndrome and a third one in an autonomous cortisol secretion, as David mentioned. So that's a lot yeah. for a small team, but really an opportunity to generate the data that could really create value. Those are on different timelines, just based upon the design of those trials, the nature of the diseases, the different enrollment rates. The trial in PMR, trying to make steroid therapy safer, as David was describing, it'll be reading out throughout this year. It's an iterative trial. And so we've actually started to see some results. We'll see some more this summer, some more in the fall. And so we hope that by the end of the year, we'll have enough to start to show people potential new investors and, and strategics and the like. And the endocrinology side, which is the Cushing's and the ACS, those trials are more traditional trials. And so it may be, say, the first quarter of next year, we start to see some results from those. It sounds like you have your hands full with a great team, but maybe a modest team in terms of numbers. And that can usually be helped by strategic partners. Maybe comment on some of your strategic partners, what they can bring to the table for you in an effort to create value for your stakeholders and certainly patients. And these are areas that are of interest to strategic partners. And we just have to figure out what is the right time to engage a partner to best bring this drug forward to market. And obviously also to benefit our investors who put their hard-earned cash behind this program. We've already obviously been having some very preliminary conversations just to make people aware of what we're doing. And I think as our results emerge later this year, we'll be engaging partners to see if this is the right time to be working with a partner or not, just based upon the capabilities and the strategic interests. But I think we're fully prepared as a company to take these drugs forward to the next step and in certain indications all the way to market. We certainly have investors with the capability to support that and some expertise within the company to, to support that as well. So I think we're going to be taking decisions on what's in the best interest of, of the drug. Every industry has been knocked around a little bit by all the macro things that have happened and affecting interest rates and investment. What do you think about a, a B round and what investors would be most attracted to given what you're doing? Yeah, I'll start there. So certainly we're all aware of the, the macro environment. Capital is getting more expensive, less plentiful. But I think that that puts a company like Sparrow in a really good position because what we're doing is generating mid-late stage data, phase two data, as I mentioned. And I think in this kind of environment, selling more real data and less dreams and sizzle, I think will go over well. And so I think that's what investors are looking for is more data, more results. I think they're telling some of the early stage companies, well, why don't you go get more before you come back? Whereas a couple of years ago, the investors couldn't afford to do that because the investment would be gone. And now I think they have the opportunity to be more choosy. And I think that puts us in a great position with a company that's going to have real data to show the value proposition. I know that you're kind of on two different coasts and managing the business very well, I might add. And do you think, how does culture play a role in attracting talent and R&D? And how do you manage that in your current geographic position? I've managed a couple of 
companies that are more geographically dispersed. I've never liked the term virtual because we do actually exist, but it's something you really have to pay attention to is the dynamic and the culture. Just on the cultural side, particularly a couple of years ago, and it's still true today, the market for top talent is extremely tight and people have multiple opportunities and just cash and equity is not going to retain people. You really need to create an environment that people want to work in and have a goal that people are inspired to be a part of. And so that's really important to us. And then as far as managing the geographically diverse team, we're all highly skilled professionals. And and so people know what they're supposed to do. I tell people, we don't hire people to do what we tell them to do. We hire people to tell us what to do. That's the type of people that we're hiring, but we're still social animals as human beings. So we make a point as a company, we get together about every six weeks somewhere so that we can do collaborative work that's better done in that type of setting, but also so that we can go out and have a meal and get to know each other a little bit and fill up some of those relationships that help the working relationship. David, do you have any business leaders or companies that you admire? I was reading how, as you were thinking about doing this, you gravitated to Apple a little bit and their mantra. How did that pop into your head? I've always related very well to their mantra of think different. I think that really describes pretty well how I was successful at Abbott and AbbVie of being someone who didn't exactly fit into that culture, but could be effective in that culture. I kind of have beat to a different drummer. One of my favorite business videos actually is a a movie called Some Kind of Monster, which is a movie about the band Metallica when they were going through a crisis and they hired an organizational psychologist to to help them through it. And it's just a really good exposition of how you rebuild a very high performing team at the, the highest level. And I think there's a lot that people in business can learn from that. Yeah, no question. I think I saw that and they were all fighting and they somehow, whoever this guy is, knew how to bring them together and restart mm-hmm. again. And here they are 30, 40 years later or whatever it is. I know you also have interesting hobbies. You're a glass sculpture artist. You were an MD at a theater company during a sabbatical. How do, how do those experiences help you at Sparrow? I think balancing art and science is a central part of who I am. I think I take a very artistic approach to, for example, designing clinical trials. When you're a sculptor, you have a vision in mind and you have to then figure out how to use your skills, you know, how to bring in collaborators, what are the properties of the materials that you have to work with in order to achieve an end. And it's a very complex undertaking. Clinical trials, managing companies, pretty much all the same process, at least to me. Robert, I wanted to ask you a a final question. What do you think Sparrow's unique value proposition is among so many other clinical stage companies in the industry? Yeah, so I think, you know, that we are really trying to do something very different as we've been describing here stepping ahead of where a lot of the big pharma industry has gone and going back and actually solving a problem that it seems like many people had given up on. And the potential vast application of what we're doing, corticosteroid drugs are some of the most widely prescribed drugs in the world. And you know, the dirty little secret is that even with all of these major blockbusters biologics, 
physicians still prescribing a lot of steroids. Yeah. So yeah. there's still a lot of unmet need there. So I think that really kind of stepping back into a puzzle that many people had given up on and being able to solve that and the huge broad implications of that, I think uh, are pretty unique. Sparrow Pharmaceuticals is actively carving out the answer to long-standing healthcare problems. They're working to release an affordable, accessible solution for individuals that face debilitating side effects from traditional steroid treatments. With Sparrow's innovative technology, patients don't have to decide between suffering from their disease or their treatment. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, Subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank David Katz and Robert Jacks for joining me today. The team at Sparrow Pharmaceuticals is following a vision with stakeholders, investors, and first and foremost, their patients in mind. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.